All right, you're in John chapter 15. If not, we'll go to John chapter 15. I have a lengthy introduction because I want to just talk to you about something. Um, the overall uh, idea here of this lesson is abiding in Christ. But I want to just start out with kind of a, a little bit different introduction. Um, in our churches today, many times we measure our spirituality or our spiritual maturity and growth on the basis of the things he or she does or does not do. In other words, we would say a person who is careful to abstain from certain things and who's actively participating in the ministry and the activities of the church is considered a good Christian. However, and just bear with me as I go because I could already maybe see some questioning what I'm saying, but people can be a soul winner and abstain from certain things while self is still in control of his or her life. They can be, do everything, they can be doing everything after the flesh. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here this morning. I'm not trying to support the idea or advocate for the fact that you should just have this, you know, I don't care lifestyle, do nothing for God, live whatever way you want and say God's grace is going to cover me and just be okay with it. We ought to, and God tells us, to abstain from certain things and to add to our Christian life certain things. That's clear. And it is true in Matthew 7, verse 16, that we, it says, "Ye shall know them by their fruits. But if you look at the context of that passage, and you keep reading, you'll see that Jesus was warning against false prophets and, quote, Christians who look like Christians on the outside, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Let me read a couple of those verses, Matthew 7, 15 through 18. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. A tree will produce fruit because it is rooted and grounded in good fertile soil. In the same way, if we're rooted and abiding in Christ, the true vine, we will bring forth good fruit. In other words, while maturity is generally defined in terms of refraining from sinful activities and being involved in Christian service, frequently this has little to no spiritual significance because there is no, little to no permanent change in lifestyle. So just, again, bear with me. Go to Revelation chapter 2, because this whole, this whole introduction is going to be important because eventually and hopefully, at least from my all intentions, I'm going to prove what I'm trying to say here. So I, hopefully you haven't already shut me down because of me saying that, the things I've already said. But Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We know this is a church of Ephesus being spoken to. Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7. And unto the angel... Of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which they, they are apostles and are not, and, have, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, from, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat, ought, or somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the works, 
or else I will come unto thee quickly, remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So notice this church had all the things right. They labored. They didn't faint. They, they dealt with false doctrine and so on and so forth. And he says in verse 4, Nevertheless, have, I have somewhat, odd, somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And he, he admonishes them in verse 5 to repent and to remember where they, they're fallen. Let me make a statement here and a quote here. It's a very... Um, Deep quote, uh, maybe deep, so you're going to have to listen very carefully. I'll try to go very slow. Before you, faithfully, before you can faithfully do, you must be. The reason to do is because you are, not so that you can become. Let me say it again. Before you can faithfully do, you must be. The reason to do is because you are, not so that you can become. Let me illustrate it in a different way here. In most churches today, we have generally four types of people. And by the way, most of this is coming from a book entitled Handbook to Happiness by Charles Solomon. Very good read if you want to read that. I have a copy, but I don't have a lot of them. So I don't know if I want to start loaning it out to everybody because it may not ever come back to me. And it's a good book, not that you would keep it on purpose, but that just happens. You don't, you don't realize where it went, and all of a sudden somebody in another world has it, and you didn't realize it ever went there. Um, so it's a great book. Handbook to Happiness, A Spiritual Guide to, to Victorious Living by Dr. Charles R. Solomon. There's the, the book. But a lot of this is, is brought up in, in this book. But there's four types of people. We have people who get saved but never come to church or do anything for the Lord. We have people who are the average Christian. They come to church, but they never get involved. And then we have the workers. We normally look at these people and say, these are good Christians. They're the best church members that we have. They're volunteering, working, faithful to special meetings in church, and they're committed. However, many times these type of people struggle with what I call and what many people call, I didn't come up with this, somebody else did, by the way, performance-based acceptance. Performance-based acceptance. In other words, they want approval from God. And they think that getting God's approval means that I should be accepted by everybody else. My pastor, my boss, my friends. Now, is that wrong to look to please other people? No. But that shouldn't be our goal in our life. And I'll get there in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. We go through, these people go through peaks and valleys. Their activity doesn't change but their attitude or their joy is based on a valley or a peak. They're up and down. They're continually recommitting themselves. Why? Because they base their joy on what they are doing instead of who they are and what they're being. And then they become resentful and angry at everyone else in the church because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Is that good? Yeah. No, it's not, by the way. I'll just tell you what it, the answer to that question is. Um, they're not having fellowship with the Lord like they should be. 
And so they don't have joy in their lives. Their joy is based on their activity. And the truth is, to be honest with you, you are not going to wake up every morning, whoa! That's the loudest I've ever gotten, the most vocal I've ever gotten when I preached. Pastor's rubbing off on me. Um, This is a good thing. It's okay to become a little more vocal. But um, (laughs) I'm not going to take a laugh. You'd all be laughing as I ran around the auditorium. Um, But we won't. Okay. But as I said in the beginning, before you faithfully... Before you can faithfully do, you must be. The reason to do is because you are, not so that you can become. Now, I'm not saying you need to wait until you become this great Christian to do things. But your relationship with the Lord is, what I'm trying to get at is your relationship with the Lord is the most important. The amount of activity or service does not produce spirituality. But sometimes we get really whacked out in our thinking. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why. I don't know. I think it's just because we're human beings, really. And we have a lot of self in us. And self says, you know, I want to lift up myself and I want to be prideful. And and pride is very subtle, by the way. You don't ever walk out. Usually you don't walk out and say, I'm prideful. Now, there are people that may do that. But normally it's very subtle. And because of pride and because of self, we just want to do things so that everybody can see me. And I can be accepted. And when I don't get accepted, when I don't get praised, when pastor doesn't say, great job, then I'm mad and resentful because I wasn't accepted. Well, God's the one you need to be worried about first. Because pastor's very busy. He's not going to be able to tell everybody in the church, great job every single time they do something, or he'd literally have no other time to do anything else. He already has enough on his plate, doesn't need any extra help filling that plate. God, don't get me wrong, God wants us to serve him. And I believe that's one of the ways we worship God is through our service. You know, it says in 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with your, all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Because of what God's done, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's, it's because God has done something for us that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, but not the other way around. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But what did Christ say in Matthew was the most important thing to that lawyer who asked? He said in Matthew 22, 36 through 38, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul and with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. Our service to God should never be the basis for our spirituality. Our spirituality should be based on our relationship with God. Activity does not produce spirituality. Rather, activity in a changed lifestyle is a result of what Christ has done in our lives and being the center of our lives. But in our churches today, we miss this fact. And even in good churches, busy churches like ours and others that we know of, we can get caught up in the busyness. And we can lose sight of God. We can be so wicked and yet be the biggest servant in the church because of our relationship has waned. And by the way, I was talking to... I, was, I had to do the bus route very quickly this morning which the Lord was just trying to teach me something, I think, and he does that very well. Um, 
more better than I, more better, wow, better than I can do, especially with speaking English. Um, but you know, I was talking to Carson about this, that the, the, the devil will use even innocent and good things to draw us away from God. And this is, this is one of those examples, service. You say, but service is good. Yes, it is. But the devil can take it and totally twist it. And we're down a road all of a sudden that we never imagined us being down because we got caught up in the service and we forgot the Lord. We'll become those performance-based acceptance type of people. And that's only going to cause a lot of other things. But we need to be the fourth type of person. We ought to be, so there are all, as I said, there are three types of people. You have the ones that get saved and they never come to church. You have the ones that get saved, come to church, but never do anything. And then you have the workers, those that are struggling with this performance-based acceptance. But then we have the fourth type of person. And this is where we're going to draw it into this passage. We ought to be that fourth type of person, which is those who are abiding in Christ. Those who are totally committed in their relationship with the Lord. The Christian life is about my relationship with my, my, the Lord, not my activity necessarily. The third type of person may have more spiritual movement or activity. They may seem like they're really good, you know, because you see all this activity. You're like, man, I want to be like them because of what you see. But the fourth person's activity, the one that's abiding Christ, doesn't increase as rapidly, but it's increasing it may be slow, but they're growing. But when that third person peeks out, the fourth person that's abiding in Christ keeps going ever so slowly, while the other one just nosedives. Because they're doing, because they're doing of, because of who they are in Christ, not so that they can be accepted or become something. They realize their walk with God is their life, and they serve because of what Christ has done in them, and their service is a result of the fellowship they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than the thought, if I do more, Christ will love me more. If I do more, I will have a better relationship with him. If I do more, I will be a better Christian. I kind of think that we heard this recently. I don't know when. All pastor sermons get kind of like overlapping in my brain. So I don't remember when he said that. He said that sometime in the last few weeks or months, I don't know. But he talked about how we could just keep doing things and think we're going to, you know, just be okay. But it's not. we got to stop and make sure our relationship's right. There's still going to be ups and downs, but our downs are shorter and not as big, and there will always be upward progression, even though there's ups or downs. They'll have, you'll have joy in serving Jesus. So as we go through this lesson, Abiding in Christ, the True Vine, I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself, as I have, which type of person, person am I? Or why am I doing the things that I do? I don't think you're the first person because the first person saved but never goes to church. You're all here. So you're clear from the first one. Good. Whew. Only got three more. Especially Winston, you know. This is not normal. Winston's not normally in church. Um, I'm just joking, by the way, okay? So I hopefully you figured out that Winston and I know each other. We probably know each other more than we really want to know each other. Um, we went to school together and don't believe anything he says, okay? And I won't tell you anything he did, which is all truth. Um, but uh, all, in all seriousness, you're all here. But are you an average Christian but never have got involved? 
Are you the worker that's basing your spirituality on your service? Or are you abiding in Christ and serving him because of what he has done for you and as a result of your relationship with him? So ask yourself, so what does it mean to abide in Christ, the true vine? Let's now get to our sermon. So I'm sorry for the lengthy, sermon, this lengthy introduction. That's why I needed to talk to Jared before I got started because I knew that that would take at least a good 15 minutes, especially as I ramble right now. I just need to go ahead and read the passage. Uh, John chapter 15. Just cut to the chase, right? John 15. All right. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that, he, that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do most anything. It doesn't say that, by the way. Okay, I'm, I am reading out of the King James, I promise you. I just did that to make sure you're following along. Um, for without me ye can do nothing. And we know what nothing means. I don't have to go through that as I do in school. What does nothing mean? All right. Um, verse 6. If, ye abide, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men do gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So let's look at, first of all, the person of the true vine. Who is the true vine? Who is that person? Well, in verse 1 through 3, we see that that person is Jesus, and Jesus alone Jesus alone possesses life within himself. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine. And he goes on to talk about how if we abide in him and he abides in us, that we will bear fruit. But he is the true vine. John 14 verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from Jesus and the life that he gives us, we have no life. All other forms, all other forms of sustaining life and power are counterfeit. What are some counterfeit vines that we may allow in our lives today? Well, one of them could be the vine of self. Anything with self in it is not good. Self-dependence, self-reliance, self-satisfaction, self-esteem, and I could keep going, but I won't. But the vine of self. And like I said, many times as good Christians, good workers of the church, we allow self to get in there. And that messes it up. Then the vine of pride. We talked about pride already. But that pride, even though it's subtle, can be evidenced in our personal relationships with people. It could even be, um, pride can even be evidenced in our marriage relationships. Because of pride, we act a certain way towards our wives. We degrade them and, and we... We uh, um, demean them and say demeaning things to them because we're so prideful and we think we're all that in a bag of chips. 
even if they're Doritos. All right. Um, the vine of pride. But even in the church, we can get prideful. And because of pride, we can stand up there, and if pastor doesn't praise us, and we don't get the praise we think we need, we get resentful and angry. And then we storm out of the church and we get mad. That's not abiding in Christ. That's performance-based acceptance. And that's not good. The vine of flesh. Everything being done for the satisfaction of the flesh. It's, and it's slave-driving desires. You know, our, our flesh is, is just a... It's just, it, we're a slave to our flesh if we allow it. Man, that flesh can drive us to the point where we're so drained physically and mentally, and even spiritually, that we can't do anything. And you know, if you're always worried about what people think about you, you're going to drain out, you're going to burn out real fast. I've watched a lot of people burn out. Sorry, my filter, as Pastor says, kicking in, I was going to say something, but I'm going to let it go. Because I don't know if it'd be taken well. But we'll just let it go. All right, so many times people serve in the church for one of these wrong reasons. And inevitably, it creates a performance-based acceptance person. You can't be drawing your strength from these vines as well as the true vine. Matthew 6, 24 says you can't serve two masters. For either you're going to hate the one and love the other or hold the one and, and I forget the rest of the per- passage, sorry. Um, I should have put it in here. Usually I do that because I know what will happen is I'll get up here and I won't be able to quote it right. So I always just stick it in my notes. He alone is the true source of everlasting abundant life. And after we experience the life of abiding in Christ, inevitably, self will creep back in. You know, you get it out, you start to live victorious, you're abiding in Christ, and all of a sudden, self comes right back in there. It sneaks in, and it takes control of our lives. And when self is in control, we become depressed and down. By the way, a performance-based person performance-based acceptance person, PBA, I'll just say PBA, it's a lot easier, they are many times depressed and down a lot because it's about approval, approval, approval. If I don't get approval, I don't have that feeling. And if I don't have that feeling, I'm not a good Christian. And if I'm not a good Christian, and <laughs> Depression, guys, I, I'm not saying it's, and by the way, let me just say this. Some Christians act like depression should never happen to a Christian. David even was depressed. Now, I don't think you should sit in your depression and just like wallow in it and think that, you know, it's okay. You need to look to God as David did and cry out to God. That's a whole nother ball game. I could really go down that road, but then we'll even be here for more weeks. I want to let Jared be able to teach too, um, not spend the rest of the four weeks that we have to cover with just talking about all this. But we're down. When we're down and depressed, you know what Satan does? He starts to attack. And he always attacks when we're down. But we can't be ignorant of his devices, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We don't need to be. James 4.7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what's the remedy? When self sneaks back into control of our lives, the remedy is the same thing as we discovered when we, abide, when we started abiding in Christ. What did we discover when we started abiding in Christ? We must reckon count or consider ourselves dead to sin and the flesh and alive to God. Romans 6, 11, Likewise reckon or consider or count ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
It's not a one-time experience. Man, I really wish it would be. I'm just being honest and transparent. I wish one time in my life all I had to do is reckon myself dead, and then the rest of my life, it was easy sailing. Unfortunately, guys, let me really encourage you today. It's not that way. Now, you're all like, ha-ha, I already know, because most of you have lived the Christian life for a long time, and you've figured that out. But does that mean that we can't be victorious? Does that mean we can't abide in Christ? No, but it's a constant reckoning. It's a daily and an always reckoning or considering ourselves based on our deliverance from the cross of Jesus Christ, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Luke 9, 23, and he said unto them, or to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 2 Corinthians four eleven. this is a good one. For we which live are always delivered unto the death, unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Notice what it says. We're always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, so that we, so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. As we die to self, Jesus is magnified. Christ is seen in our lives. We're abiding in Christ. The only place of triumph is in Christ or in abiding in Christ, not in self. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be to God, unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. There's always going to be that transferring back and forth from the control of the self, of self to the control of Christ until we learn They're always going to be going back and forth until we learn to exercise our will in faith so that he might be more consistently living through us. We have to keep just, even if there's blocked circumstances, even if there's things there saying, you're not going to get to that goal. You have to look over that wall by faith. Because man, there's big walls in my life. I mean, I, my goal is to be like Christ. My goal is to abide in Christ. But man, it's like every day I wake up and there's another wall. And there's another one. And I crash that one down with God's help. And there's another one. I got to look over, look over, look over in faith. Have you seen those people that get all fired up when something big's going on? Maybe it's the, you know, the, the anniversary days or, you know, they're all fired up. And then a few weeks later, they're done. They're done with Christ. Now, I'm not saying you're not, I'm not trying to advocate that you're always going to live up here, okay? But have you ever seen those people, they're just done with Christianity. But a week week sooner, a week earlier, they were all gung-ho. What was the problem? They were experience-driven or experience-centered instead of finding their strength in Christ and Him alone. (laughs) It's not in our experience. Because, man, that experience is not always going to be there. And then if a church is not careful and we're not careful as people, we start to cater to that. We start, like, if, you know, that's the big box churches. If, you know, the euphoria is not there anymore, so now I'm going to give something bigger. Do something bigger. And then it's not there anymore, so I'm going to do something bigger. And by the time they're done, they've got the biggest junk going on in their churches because they were trying to seek to keep people on that high. Drugs are that way. Well, I have never taken drugs, but I'm told 
Okay, I, I said that and I thought, man, I better just follow that statement up with um, that I've never taken them. But what I've been told by people that have is there's always that you get the euphoria and then you're done. And then you got to get another one. So then you get some more. And then you just keep your body just wants more. That's the flesh too. That's sin. That's all of it. That's all the junk that you got to. But that's not what we ought to be. The arm of the flesh is going to, to fail us eventually. This is a fundamental truth. But how many of us fail to apply it? I mean, we're all going, you know, Tyler, you're not telling us anything we don't know. But how many times do we fail to actually apply it to our lives? All right, so i got to go quickly. It's already 1040. All right, in, in this passage, we're not only having to do with the person of Jesus Christ, but we see not only that Jesus alone is the one to give us the strength that we need, but then secondly, we see that God is the gardener or the husbandman, as the Bible says, of that vineyard. Verse 2 through 3, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So we see that word husbandman has the, the, the idea there in verse 1 of husbandman refers to the vine dresser, the gardener, the one who has the responsibility of caring for the vineyard. And Jesus says in verse 1 that the heavenly father is that husbandman or that gardener. And notice what it says in verse 2. There's a key phrase, in me. So he's dealing with genuine believers here. He's not dealing with those that are professing Christians and professing Christ that never have possessed what Christ can do. You know, Titus 1, 15 and 16 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And we know in Matthew 7, he talks about how not everyone that says to him, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just because we do things, as I said already, doesn't mean we're really having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people doing and saying, but there are also in Matthew 7 false prophets. The gardener is, God is involved in everything that has to do with the vine. And he gives us three specific duties in regards to what God does. First of all, God gives us protection. The gardener provides tender care and protection for the vineyard. Aren't you, all, aren't you glad that Jesus sees everything? Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And he protects us. How does he protect us? Through prayer. Have you been praying like you should this week? Prayer is a way that God protects us. He provides protection through his word. Have you been allowing the word of God to work in your heart? Have you been heeding the word of God? Have you been allowing the, the Lord to change you through the word? That's another way he protects us. He also protects us through God-ordained authority. And specifically the local New Testament church and the pastor. And yes, I'm going to go there. Have you been allowing God to work through the pastor and the church to protect your family and to protect you? While God, his word, and prayer are the most important things in your life, the pastor is a very important authority in your life. And personally, I'll just tell you from experience, not only in my life, but in my family, God has used many of my pastors, including Pastor Brooks, to help me and my family in our walk with the Lord. Now, we shouldn't do things just to, I don't think I'm saying we should seek for the approval primarily of the pastor. I already talked about that. 
But it's sad how many people scoff and ridicule the idea of the authority of the pastor. And I'm so thankful that God has used Pastor Brooks here. There was a time where I asked Pastor Brooks, I was offered right after we got here to go back to where we came from. You know who I called up first? Well, he had already been told. Praise the Lord, he didn't get caught off guard. But I called him and I said, what do you think? And you know, I prayed about it, but I took his counsel and prayed about it because that's how important the pastor is. But so many people just do whatever they want and on their way out, they say, hey, just so you know, I'm doing this. And they never talk to pastor. And maybe the flesh, maybe the filter needs to kick in. It's going to kick in because I'm probably going to say something very, very much in the flesh and that's not going to help anything. So just understand that the pastor is very important. And we need to be careful. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. God gives us a lot of different counselors. And one of the most important ones is our pastor. He provides protection through that. So I have to stop there for time, sake of time, but hopefully you're seeing that we need to look to Christ and Christ alone for our strength. We need to be rooted and grounded in him and not seeking the approval of everybody else. We need to make sure our relationship with the Lord is right because if we do that, everything else will fall into place. It's amazing. You know, we all know this, and we just have to be reminded. We make things way more complicated than they really are <laughs> because we let, ourself, we let self get involved. And if we would just simply do what God's Word said, man, we'd have such a better life, and it'd all just fall right into place. Like, oh, wow, it's amazing how when we do it God's way, it all works out. So are you, possess, are you looking to Christ and Him alone for your strength, or are you looking to the acceptance of others? And then secondly, are you looking to that protection that the gardener gives? Are you allowing that to help you in your Christian life? Or are you scoffing at it and ridiculing it and, and bucking it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Help us now as we continue to um, just think about your word. I pray for pastor as he preaches this morning. Fill him with your power. We thank you for how you're so patient with us, even though we don't even deserve it. Give us strength today to be able to do what we ought to do. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.